story for like years to come. Anyway, on to our study. We're in a study uh, about worship. The heart of worship is our Bible study for this month. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to uh, get to that in just a moment. But before we do that, I just uh, I want to make an observation. You know, we live in a great country, right? America. It's a great place. And you know what? The reason this country is great is, is because you have the freedom to express your opinions and the freedom of speech without fear of retribution or persecution from the government. There are many countries in the world who are not afforded that freedom or even the freedom to select their political leaders. So, but the fact that you have the freedom of choices is what makes this country great. And the greatest freedom of choice, in my opinion, is the freedom of religion, which is granted to you as a right of citizenship in the First Amendment. And we, we don't get political here, but I, I, there's a reason for this. So just track with me, okay? It, the First Amendment reads in part, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So, American citizen, you have the freedom to worship God and practice your faith, your faith without fear of persecution from the government. And that's something that wasn't afforded to many Christians over the centuries who have died at the hands of the state because they worshiped God or wouldn't relinquish the word of God in their hand. Some countries, even today, have extreme persecution, and it may not be at the hands of the government themselves, although there are governments who outlaw religion or Christianity at that but there are many countries that you can live in today where the outright worship of God, there's the tie into what we're going to be talking about is with worship, the, the outright worship of God brings persecution, extreme persecution. And if you weren't aware, last Sunday, uh, which was Easter Sunday, there was over 300 Christians killed in Sri Lanka um, that were part of terrorist bombings on several churches and hotels. And um, when I heard that happen, I mean, of course, I was distraught, like I'm sure anyone in here who heard that was, but it just makes me think of, listen, in a, in a time, you know, I, I think the last four to five years um, with, with politics and with social media has erupted into this crazy yelling match to where, you know, political insults are hurled from both sides of the aisle. But as Christians, we, we can't let that distract us, politics, what have you. And, and I'm not even saying that if you're interested in politics it's that, ba- that that's bad. It's no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, listen, as a Christian, don't let anything, especially politics, distract you from the most important thing, and that being worshiping the one true God. Because worshiping God is the most important thing for the Christian, and you just happen to live in a country that affords you the freedom as a right to be able to worship as you choose. And so as we're in a study that's a, literally about worship, and deciding and defining what worship is, man, can I just encourage you to not let anything distract you from worshiping God, and just remember, man, how good we have it here, because there are countries that don't have it so good, and man, when you hear about things like that, like fellow brothers and sisters in Christ killed for their faith um, in other countries, man, pray, pray for those people, pray for those brothers and sisters, pray for that country, um, because there are people over there who need Christ as well. So, He's the only one who's worthy of our total devotion and worship. And last week, we, we began this new series called The Heart of Worship. And we started last week by defining what worship is. Because so many people think that worship is just something as simple as singing songs, like we did earlier. And that is a part of worship, singing songs, singing praise to our God. There's an entire book of the Bible called Psalms. There's 150 of them that are praises to God, and that is an important part, but I feel like in today's world in Christianity, we think that worship in its totality 
is just singing songs. But it's not. We saw that last week as we defined what worship is. Biblically defined, it comes from Psalm chapter 29 and verse 2, in which it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so, literally, that word worship comes from the word worth. It's ascribing worth to something. And in the Bible, we see that we are to give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship has to do with giving. It has to do with the worth that we ascribe to God. It has to do with how worthy God is at his essence. And so last week, we defined worship through Psalm 29.2 as what God desires. Worship is what God requires. And worship is what God deserves. In light of who he is as creator God and in light of what he has done for us as, as our savior and sending his only begotten son to die for us, he certainly de desires our worship, he certainly requires it, but he absolutely deserves our worship. And I hope that last week you saw more fully what worship is. And tonight we're gonna dive more into that. Let's, let's get a broader view of this subject of worship in the Bible. Again, we're not trying to define this on man's terms. I'm not going to be quoting a bunch of pastors or worship leaders or things like that on what worship is. We want to see what God says that worship is in his word. That is what is important, especially when the person that we are worshiping is God. It probably is important to see what God says worship is. And so that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to examine the cost of worship. The cost of worship. And to do that, we're going to be looking at the very first time that the word worship is mentioned in your Bible. So go ahead and open up to the book that has most of the first mentions, the book of Genesis, the first book in your Bible. And if you're not familiar with studying the Bible, we're going to look at this idea, this principle of Bible study tonight. It's known as the principle of first mention. You see, any time that a, a word or a phrase or an ideology is mentioned in the scripture, typically how it is used is setting a pattern for how God is going to use that word or phrase or idea throughout the rest of scripture. And so the first mention of said things is really important. And tonight, in Genesis chapter 22... Genesis 22 is the first time that the word worship is mentioned in Scripture. And I think, as we see how it's used, I think you're going to get a, a, a more full idea of what worship is, and I think it'll change your perspective on the subject a little bit. And that's why we're calling this study the cost of worship. So let's go ahead and read the first couple of verses in Genesis 22. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter 22, we see a couple of characters that maybe you're familiar with. You have Abraham, you have Isaac, okay? So in verse 1 of Genesis 22, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So what we see here, the first time this word worship is used, it has nothing to do with singing or music. 
Nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is a sacrifice. And if you're at all familiar with the story, what we see here is God telling Abraham to take his young son, who's probably in his late teens to early 20s, um, and take him, his only son, and, and, and to take him and to offer him as a sacrifice, to kill him and offer him as a sacrifice to God. And that's a really weird thing. We're going to dive into that in a second. Why would he ask him to do that? But it's, it, what's interesting here is that Abraham says to his men, when he takes his men and, and their donkeys and they take Isaac, Isaac doesn't know at this point. He doesn't know until it's a little too late. And, and he takes all of them and he tells the men, stay here with the donkeys while me and my son go worship. Man, that's interesting. God uses the word worship here. When he's about to do something that I'm sure that he didn't even want to do. Who wants to kill their only son? I, I have one child. He's almost a year old, and he's my son. He's my only son. I couldn't imagine having to do something like this. And so what I want us to see, point number one of the night, is the ability to worship God costs you something. The ability to worship God costs you something. In verse number one, it says that God tempted Abraham. And I want you, I, what I want you to understand here is that this is not a negative thing as you might initially think. God doesn't tempt man to sin. We know that because the Bible tells us. In James chapter one, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Well, you say, well, there's a contradiction because it clearly says in Genesis 22 that God tempted Abraham. No, you don't understand. What he's saying in James chapter 1 is that God doesn't tempt man with evil. Who tempts man with evil and with sin? Well, that's the enemy. That's Satan. So what is God saying when he's tempting Abraham here? Well, tempt here in Genesis 22 means to try or to prove. He was, he was proving Abraham. He was trying Abraham's faith. In him. It's similar to how we see it used in Psalm chapter 26 and verse 2. It's the same idea. It's, David says, examine me, O Lord, and, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. David was, was saying, listen, God, I want to be more like you. I, I want to have faith in you. So, Lord, try me, prove me, examine me, and make me more like you. And so when God was tempting Abraham, it wasn't to do evil. He, he was proving him. That's what he was doing. He was trying his faith, okay? And I'm sure that something that God was asking him to do, to try his faith, it, it, it carried no small price tag because it was the life of his only son. Genesis 22, look back in verse 2. He said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. God, God knew. He's not like, well, I know you don't really like Isaac anyway, so uh, <laughs> why don't you go kill him? No, 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 no. He loved Isaac, and God knew it. Whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Man, just like the lambs and the goats during the law period under Moses that they would do. Man, so your next point there under the fact that the ability to worship costs us something is that worship requires sacrifice. Worship requires sacrifice. The essence of worship that we see here in Genesis 22 is a sacrifice, in verse 5, Abraham describes the act of sacrificing his son as worship. So what I want to ask you is this. Does your definition of worship involve a cost? If you previously defined worship in your head, whether consciously or unconsciously, is what we did here tonight and sing a couple songs, what does that cost you? Does it cost you anything? 
is simply showing up to church on Wednesday and, and or Sunday, the only cost that you associate with worship is singing in front of people your cost for worship. Because I think Abraham would say that's a pretty shallow view of worship because he did something a little harder than singing in front of his friends. Remember what we saw that God did for us last week? Listen, sacrifice is what gives you the connection with God. God gave, we saw that last week, God gave his only begotten son for you. And so if you're a Christian in here, to worship him requires you connecting with his sacrifice through your own sacrifice. And so worship costs us something. Worship requires sacrifice. Okay, well, what does that mean practically, man? I gotta kill something? No. For Abraham, it meant being willing to give up something that he loved very much to give God the glory that's due his name, Psalm 29, 2. So what are you willing to give up for a lifestyle of worship? Because remember, worship is giving God the glory that's due his name. It is giving God the preeminence in our life and not worshiping anything else above him. So are you willing to give up your social status by altering your lifestyle for Christ? Are you willing, I know, I know that you're young, but many of you are starting to work. Listen, the Bible asks us, it tells us to be givers, to give offerings, to give tithes. Are you willing to give of your finances by tithing in obedience to God? That costs you something, literally. Are you willing to give up friends if they are potentially bad influences who drag you into a life of sin? That costs you something. Are you willing to give up your girlfriend or your boyfriend if you're in an unbiblical relationship that is pulling you into a life of sin like we saw in our purity, our sex and purity series back in February? Are you willing to give up something for a life of worshiping God? Because worshiping God doesn't just mean singing songs to him, although that's incredibly important. If you can't find it in yourself to sing to God, then I don't know where your joy comes from. But worship it's all about giving God the preeminence. It's ascribing worth to him and understanding what he did for you and who he is. And so I am going to give you my life and give you the prominence, the preeminence, the priority. Three Ps, look at that. That was right off the top of my head. In your life. That's what it's about. So are you willing to give up something so that it costs you something? Because if all you ascribe as worshiping the Lord is showing up on Wednesday or Sunday and singing some songs and you don't even really sing them, you just kind of lip them, it doesn't cost you anything. I dare say it's not worship. That's what I'm getting at. Worshiping God is going to cost you something. It requires sacrifice. So have you counted the cost? Next, I want you to notice Abraham's faith in God. Because not only does worship require sacrifice, it requires faith. It requires faith. Genesis 22 and verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, enclaved the wood for the burnt offering. So he chopped the wood up for the offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Look at Abraham's response in verse 2. Verse 2, God tells him what to do. Verse 3, he gets up early in the morning and goes to do it. Where's the, the back and forth? Where's the questioning God? Where's the wrestling with God? What? Maybe it happened, but we don't see it in the scripture. We see Abraham completely obediently following immediately no hesitation faithfully obeying God even when I'm sure it was something that he did not want to do and keep in mind guys this I can't reiterate this enough this is his only son I know that you guys aren't aren't really old enough to have kids of your own but man when you have that first kid I, th I think this 
I think this passage just resonates a little more with you. Ben, would, would you agree? Like, I'm, man, even just a year ago, I don't know that this passage resonated with me as much as it does today, which makes the crucifixion and what God did for us on Easter resonate with you even more. But just listen, it was his only son. And, and by the way, this was the son that God provided to Abraham in his old age to fulfill the promise God had made to Abraham to make his lineage a great people. If you don't know the story, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make of you a great people. Uh, that's in Genesis chapter 15. God comes to him and, and, and says uh, that, that I'm going to make your, your seed as the, the stars of the sky. He gives him this promise. And, he was, and, and Isaac was the son of his old age. It was a promise that God kept that looked impossible. He was actually, uh, Abraham was 100 years old when he was born and Sarah was 90, the Bible tells us. But look in Genesis 15, in verse 2. Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus, some other dude, not my son. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels. He said, I'm going to give you a kid, your own kid. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. God said, listen, I know you don't know how this is going to work, but that's how God-sized promises and God-sized faith works. you got to trust me, big guy. you got to trust that my word is true and comes true 100% of the time. And it says that he believed in the Lord. He believed him for that promise. Genesis 21, 5 says that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. Man, I know that people lived a little bit longer back then, but... Uh, if I'm 100 years old and still kicking, I'm going to be surprised, first of all, let alone having a kid. And his wife, Sarah, was 90. It says that in Genesis 17, if you're interested. So Abraham knew that God had given him, Isaac, given him Isaac as a promise. And God said, through this son, your only son, your seed is going to be like the stars of heaven. It's going to birth through Isaac. He's going to become Jacob and Esau. And Jacob becomes Israel. And Israel is the 12 tribes of Israel. Through Isaac is going to come the nation of Israel, an entire nation of people. And Abraham knows that God gave him that son as a promise. And Abraham believed God at his word. You know why? Because God, or, or Abraham knew that God couldn't kill Isaac. Or if he did, that God would be able to raise him from the dead. Or that God would provide some other way. He knew that God keeps his promises. So he believed him and he trusted him. And he just had faith to follow God. Whatever Abraham was thinking, he trusted God, and he had faith. Because look at Genesis 22 and verse 5 again. He said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. See, he knew. And come again to you. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again. So he knew that either God wasn't going to do it, or he was going to raise him from the dead, or something supernatural was about to happen. Because he knew that God's promises were sure. He knew that God's word was, was, was perfect. And God cannot lie. And so he trusted him. And he had faith. Abraham had faith in who God was and what God said. So let me ask you, Christian, do you? Do you believe in who God says he is? Do you believe in what God says in his word? 
Do you believe that what he said in his word is 100% true, that God cannot lie? If he did lie, it would make him cease to be God, and that he has preserved his word perfectly and errantly for you today so that you can know what he has said to you. Do you believe that? Because it takes faith to believe that. Do you believe that he's the only way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but by him, John 14, 6? It takes faith to believe that. See, worship requires faith. Christianity, what I I call American Christianity in the 21st century today, has redefined what being a Christian is. They've redefined Christian as just going to church on Sunday, finding a church you like, finding a church that your kids like, finding a church with good children's programs, blah, 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 blah. But what Christianity isn't is ascribing worship to God and, and making him the preeminence and the prominent one in your life so that your faith far exceeds your doubts, so that your faith far exceeds your own pride and your own desires. It's all about what God wants because of what he's done. Because of who he is. That's what Christianity is. That's what following Christ is all about. And worship, guys, requires faith. If you don't truly have faith in who God is and what he said, you aren't truly worshiping. You can't fool God. You can fool me. You can fool the counselors. You can fool those around you. But you can't fool God because he knows your heart. Let's keep reading. See the end of the story here. If you've never heard the story, you're like, what's going to happen? Let's keep going. Verse 5, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? See, Isaac didn't know what was going on. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Isaac's starting to put two and two together. But see the faith of Abraham? Verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. See, Isaac had some faith too, because I'm sure a hundred-year-old man, hundred-plus-year-old man, couldn't bind his young son without him willingly laying down his life. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. How many times he said, here am I, when God calls to him. Mm. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. What an amazing story. Man, how amazing is that? God says to Abraham, now that you Now I know that you love me because you didn't withhold the thing that you love the most. The thing that you could possibly worship more than me, you didn't withhold from me. So I know that I have the preeminence in your life. I have your worship. Worship costs you something. It requires faith. And now I know that you love me. And you know what? God gives it right back to him. He says, I'm not going to take that from you. And listen, I'm not telling you in here that if you love your Xbox more than God and you say, God, I'm going to give my Xbox up for you, he's not going to stop your hand before you post it on Facebook sales and say, no, my son, now I know that you love me. Keep the Xbox. I'm not saying that. 
But I am saying that we love some things more than we love God, and that's idolatry. And that means we're worshiping other things in the place of God. And Abraham was willing to give whatever he had to give to God to worship him. And God said, now I know your heart, man, because of your actions. He proved his faith through obedience. But here's the second thing I want you to see tonight. The ability to worship God is gonna cost you something, but check this out. The ability to worship God costs Jesus everything. And this is, man, I I feel like the last two messages have been perfect timing right around Easter. Because last Sunday we celebrated, we remembered what Christ did for us on the cross some 2,000 years ago. The ability to worship God is gonna cost you something. And maybe that's a turnoff. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I'm in for that. Well, check out what it cost God. Check out what it cost Jesus Christ for you to have the ability to worship him. Because not only is this story historically true, it actually happened. But check this out. It's an amazing picture. It's prophecy of Jesus Christ. If you didn't notice these parallels going through this, check out this story. Look at the parallels. Because what Abraham has to sacrifice is his only son. That's your blank. Verse 2. Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, what was Jesus? Jesus was God's only begotten son, right? Isn't that what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see some similarities. We see a picture happening here. Well, that, that, that hardly seems like a picture if, if that's all you got. Well, that's not all I got. Check this out. Keep going. Verse four. Then on the third day, after God told him to do this, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Three days, three days after God told him to sacrifice his son, he goes, lifts up his eyes, sees the place. That means that in Abraham's mind, his son was as good as dead for three days. Well, I know somebody else who was dead for three days and rose again. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Well, that's just a coincidence, right? Well, how about this? How about in verse 6 that Isaac carried the wood that he was going to be offered on? How about that? Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. You know who else carried the wood that he was going to be sacrificed on? Jesus Christ. John 19 and verse 17, it says that he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him. Carried the wood that he would be sacrificed on and then I know the picture breaks down, pictures always do break down because Isaac wasn't sacrificed, but what was sacrificed in Isaac's stead then? A ram or a lamb, a lamb offering in verse 8. Check out verse 8. Abraham said, when Isaac asked, hey, where's the lamb for the offering? He's starting to connect the dots here. and He was wondering what was going on. What does Abraham say? He says, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Man, let me tell you, Christian, if you've never seen this, let me just show you, this is why you should love God's word. This is why you can trust God's word because God chooses every single word carefully. In Matthew chapter five, God says that heaven, Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter five, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He says that every jot and tittle, like every dot of the I, every cross of the T will endure forever. And he chose these words carefully because God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Look at it. 
Look at it up there because grammatically that can be correctly interpreted as two different things. God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering or God will provide himself as a lamb for a burnt offering. So what was Abraham saying? Well, I think he was saying both. I don't think he knew about the second one, but he for sure was saying God will provide himself a lamb, meaning God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. He knew that God wasn't going to kill Isaac or he knew that something was up. But check it out, prophetically, it's pointing forward to Jesus Christ when it says that God will provide himself. You could also equally correctly interpret it that he would provide himself as a lamb for a burnt offering. Because check it out, John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming onto the scene and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So not only do we see the faith of Abraham, but we see a prophetic pointing forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, being sacrificed on some wood. Amazing. And then we see the substitute provided in verse 13 because even though Isaac was spared, there was still a substitute. There was still a lamb that had to die, right? And so a substitute was provided. And man, do you know that Jesus Christ was that sacrificial lamb for you? He was the substitute provided in your stead? Man, listen, teenager, if you don't know this, you deserve death. Your sin, the Bible says, separates you from God. And I, don't, I shouldn't have to convince you that you're a sinner. We do dumb things all the time. We sin all the time. But what you need to understand is that God is perfect and pure and holy. And he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so that means that your sin separates you from a holy and perfect God. And so God substituted himself, his only begotten son, in your stead. So that he would die and take on your sins so that you could live. Jesus was sacrificed as your substitute. He paid your price on the cross. Ephesians 5 tells us that. It says that Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And do you see that? The, those amazing parallels in this story? Because God died in your stead, in your place even though we deserved it, Christ took on our sin. And the Bible says all we have to do is cry out to God and, and receive him. D to them that received him, God made to be the sons of God. To all them that received him. And so all we have to do is cry out to him, call upon him for the forgiveness of our sins, confess him as the Lord of our life, and believe on him and, and his resurrection. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. It's an amazing thing. But check it out, if you're a Christian in here and you've done that already and you understand that, this is why worship requires sacrifice. Don't forget what I told you at the beginning, how the, the principle of first mention sets up for us a pattern throughout the scripture. This word worship, the first time it's used, has nothing to do with singing. It has everything to do with sacrifice and a cost. And this is very important because it allows us to connect and to identify with the sacrifice that God has made for us. And when you do that, then you can truly give God the glory that is due his name. Here's the last thing I want you to see before we're done and we sing a couple more songs to finish. There's two times in this passage that Abraham lifts up his eyes. In verse four, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off that he was gonna sacrifice his son or he thought he would. And then in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, the ram caught in a thicket. 
So two times Abraham lifts up his eyes. The first time he beholds the place of sacrifice, and the second time he looks up, he beholds the object of sacrifice. And so can I just suggest to you, Christian, when you're worshiping God, that you need to lift up your eyes and behold two things. You need to behold the place of sacrifice, the cross of Calvary, and you need to behold the object of sacrifice, the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed on the cross so that we could be made heirs with him, so that we could have eternal life. And so if you have a hard time when you're singing, truly worshiping, and you just feel like, I don't know, this is just awkward, listen, close your eyes, lift up your eyes, and picture what he did for you. Picture who he is. Picture the cross. Picture what he did on that cross for you so that you could have eternal life. And maybe, just maybe, that'll put worship into perspective for you. It costs Jesus everything, and so worship should cost us something. It requires sacrifice, and it requires faith. So will you fix your eyes on him tonight and for the rest of your life as you worship God? Have you counted the cost of worship? Because it all comes down to, is God worth it to you? Worthship. We saw that last week is where that word worship comes from. Is God worth it to you? Because worship is giving God the glory that is due his name. Let's pray. Father, I come to you tonight, and uh, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I, I thank you that you, you can just show us new truth out of a passage that maybe we've seen many times before. And God, I just pray that tonight, that uh, even though we saw some really cool pictures in your word, I pray that we wouldn't glance over the practical aspect of what we saw in your word tonight. Worship costs us something, because worship costs you everything. And so, Father, I just pray to you tonight for, the, for each Christian in here that these last couple of songs, that we would just desire to worship you and to praise you for who you are and for what you've done for us, Lord. But that we would, more importantly, seek in our everyday life to give you the preeminence, make you the priority in our lives, so that we're not worshiping anything, so that we don't have any other idols in our life that we worship above you, Father. You deserve our priority and our preeminence and our praise and our worship. And Father, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as their Savior, Father, I pray they wouldn't leave here tonight without asking the person they came with or a counselor, or me. God, you're the most important decision they could ever make, and so I pray they wouldn't leave here tonight without at least finding more information about what it means to know you as their Savior. It's not about religion. It's not about believing in God. The devil believes in God. We know the devil's not going to heaven. But Lord, it's about having a relationship with you and confessing you as the Lord of our life. We love you, Lord, and I pray these last two songs would just glorify you as we seek to worship and to praise you through song. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that I pray. Amen.